Welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour podcast series. I'm in the bonus tour city of Cardiff and I'm excited today to be joined by Ryan Whittington. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. Looking forward to chatting about why product managers shouldn't exist. Mm. Controversial, I know. Good, we'll good, good title. Good title. Let's let's make sure we give some more value. It's no, it's not clickbait. I promise for those uh, for those jumping in and, and seeing the title. So first up, I want to give a big thanks to Dupol.co for the introductions to all guests in Cardiff. Dupol is a global online survey provider that has recently switched to a paid for value model, meaning you can get started with their real time multilingual and embeddable surveys for free today. Just go to Dupol.co. That's D O P O L L dot co. Now, this tour and every single podcast episode is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife in Australia. If you do enjoy this episode or any of the podcast episodes, consider supporting the three causes that you can choose from over at bushfire.productcoalition.com. Now, I'm visiting five cities across Europe to interview over 50 product leaders like Rowan here uh, to gain insights, knowledge and experience to share with you, the Product Coalition global community. And if you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a global product community of half a million readers, 6,000 Slack managers, uh, Slack members and thousands of podcast listeners. Before we get stuck into the episode, I do need to give a thanks to some brands and individuals that have been significant donors to the cause. First up is UserPilot, which is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to grab a demo and a free trial. Showbit Chug is a Google product manager and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Showbit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows, and gather user feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. I'd also like to give a thanks to Rich Mironoff and Chris Miles for their donations. Okay, Ryan. Now we can chat. <laughs> Great. But before we do talk about why product managers shouldn't exist... Um, we have an icebreaker on the podcast. In Melbourne, it was a locals guide. Okay. In Sydney, it was a pub quiz. Right. In Cardiff and the European cities, um, I'm going a bit more local. I've localised it. So uh, here in Cardiff, the, the game is called, is it Welsh or not? Oh, no. Okay. Right, are you nope. born and bred what? Nope. Welsh, nope, Cardiff? No, very much no? not Welsh. I like to pretend to be, but <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm from the north. north oh, England. yeah. Okay. How long have you been in Cardiff? Eight years, but not long enough to know any Welsh. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll see. We'll see how, how well you've integrated into Welsh society. All right. All right. Um, now, sorry. Let me bring the right ones up here. Let's get going. So the first one's a product, and you need to identify: is it Welsh or not? And the product is the ATM. Oh. Uh, no. 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 What makes you say no? Um, I don't think it's Welsh for a very rubbish reason that ATM in Welsh is not ATM. So I feel like right, if it was okay. made in Wales, then right. they wouldn't change the name. Yep, that right. is also a pretty spurious 
Okay. Well, you, you, you'd be right. Yes. Uh, it's, it's Scottish, in fact. Okay. okay. In 1966, a, a Scotsman by the name of James Goodfellow from Paisley on the west coast of Scotland invented the first automated telemachine and pin number system. I'd love to see a photo of it. Um, but yeah, I've, there you go. Next up, is it Welsh or not? It's not really a product, to be honest. Um, but I was scraping a barrel, okay. digging around I thought it you were in, in these different in the Welsh language. Country. I thought you were going to say Welsh right. words at me, <laughs> and I was going to be expected to know. Uh, <laughs> like, there's lots of consonants. It's probably Welsh. <laughs> Very true. Um, so we've got the the plus sign. You know, in maths, you yeah, plus. Was that invented in Wales or not? Uh, no. Why not? I think that maths is, you know, Roman and Latin and all sorts of right, stuff. Okay. I don't really think of the UK or Wales or England as being particularly leading in that area. Mm, so I'm going to go. Were written down. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, you'd be wrong. apparently both the plus and the equal signs in maths are both down to a welshman called robert record from temby in south wales who in 1557 changed the then standard equal sign um which was looked like two capital i's standing up next to each Mm -hmm. other he turned them on their side 90 degrees and that's the equal sign we're all familiar with today very innovative there we go all right we do have a welsh language test so um Aim of the game here is you've got to tell me whether it's a Welsh word or whether I made it up this morning. Okay. <laughs> All right. The first one is is the good old-fashioned Pilipala. How do you spell it? Pil-i-pala. <laughs> sure. Sounds Welsh. You'd be right. Okay. What's it mean? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. A pili pata, uh, sorry, a pili pala is a butterfly. Oh, because of how it flaps its wings. You could imagine that, yeah. Sure. It we'll sounds like a little pili pala. Lovely. Floating in the wind. A caterpillar, but not. Yeah. <laughs> right, the next one then is a uh, bougainbrayan. No. Not Welsh? No. You think I made it up? Yeah. That does sound like the sort of thing that... <laughs> You might make up. A bougainbrayan is a scarecrow in Welsh. That's my trusty friend, the internet. I'm okay. going right here. Okay. There we go. All right, all right. There you go. In eight years, you can now start dropping butterfly. Bougainbrayan. Bougainbrayan. It's not Popsy Ping, though. I thought you were going to gonna leave it that You're the one. second person. That's the only one we know. Up, or, so we've stayed well clear of that. Hoffy coffee. What's a hoffy coffee? I like coffee. You like coffee? Coffee, coffee. Coffee, coffee. Sure, that's not off Ali G show from like 20 <laughs> years ago. Is it? I, don't, I really don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's also actually right. Welsh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, let, let's get stuck into, into the topic. So why product managers shouldn't exist? So first of all, why this topic title? Why, why did this one resonate with you? So there's a couple of reasons. Right. I think that often people fall into product management uh i definitely did and a lot of people who are product managers are often being given the ill-fated task of trying to get everybody to pay attention to the product and the customer and and what people might actually want and in my opinion in lots of places people are basically just outsourcing that they're saying i don't want to have to think about it let's get a product manager in but then they're not giving that product manager any space to do anything they're not letting them achieve anything and they're basically going this is not my problem anymore I've asked somebody else to deal with it. 
So in a really product-centric or a tech-centric or a user-centric company, product management is amazing and can be super productive if it's given its proper credence. But I often find that that product is a bit of a thankless task and it's it's basically refereeing everybody else's ideas and plans and nobody necessarily mm. wants to have to talk about product. So it's almost going, I'm going to take that off my plate and give it to somebody else. Right, okay. And then when it's on somebody else's plate, it's not my problem anymore, so I can stop worrying about it. Right. Nice so I angle. think it's a bit of a lazy... I think right. the original idea of a product manager was probably a little bit of a laziness from other business leaders who go, I don't want to have to think about this anymore. People keep telling me I have to think about user experience and what the customer wants. So we'll just get someone else to do it and then I can stop worrying about it. Right, okay. So what, what, what's what been your entry into product? You said you fell into it. Can you t- d- tell did. us a little bit about your I context? Did How did you get it. into product? Um... Great, great question. So about five years ago, I joined the Admiral Group. So Admiral is a big insurer. They're just over the road um, on a graduate scheme, which was amazing. They've got an amazing graduate scheme. You kind of cycle through all sorts of different areas of the business. You can learn about marketing or product or claims or any of that. Um, And they're an amazing company to work for. Um, But what they're trying to do is give you a bit of a a flavour of everything. So you can say, get to your end of your 18 months and say okay I actually really liked that I want to go into marketing or I want to go into this thing um, and what I found was that being a bit of a jack of all trades and a master of none I was almost a, a, a useful person that was just put towards things you know, oh we need to do this Rowan can you come and help or you need to do this can you come and help um, because I don't think anybody necessarily sits on the graduate scheme and goes I really want to be a product manager right maybe five years ago they didn't yeah, but I think now yeah. it's much more of a hotter term and people yeah. do know what it is and we've got podcasts and <laughs> books and all sorts of stuff but five years ago you search for product manager and basically it come with, came up with production manager and do you want to work in a factory yeah right. so it's it's still it's still becoming a thing and um, so I was on the grad scheme and I started working with a uh, my ex-manager who is amazing amazing bright sparky brain got loads of ideas um, but needed somebody to kind of help him actually deliver on some of the uh, ideas that he had. So essentially, hey, I've got a load of ideas. Let's get someone to do the product stuff to actually get it done. Um, I was very lucky that he is very product-centric as well. Um, and I say very lucky. Sometimes that meant that I'm, I said, well, you drive. If you if you know what you want to do, you do it. Um, so there was sometimes a little bit of clashing of heads. But generally... Um, I essentially got to build a product. I got to kind of, within seven weeks, we went from zero to hero on a brand new concept for Admiral. Right. We worked with an external agency who were amazing, um, who taught me a lot about agile processes and scrum processes and you know what's useful and what's not useful in design. So basically I got thrown in at the deep end. Here you go, go and launch this thing um, and don't spend too much money whilst you're at it. Right. Um, and then we grew. So there were the two of us about Brilliant. three, four years ago, and now there's a there's a company of about fifty five plus. Um, they're called Vega, right. at at Admiral. Um, so I essentially said, well, hang on, I'm the product manager here, and I have got now I've got two products, three products, four products. I need to bring in more people. Let me train them. Let me give them product owner jobs or product manager jobs, and essentially found myself at being able to be the head of product for right. a really cool startup. Funded by a big FTSE 100 company. Um, so I had to learn really quick. Yeah, I went to yeah. a lot of conferences. I asked a lot of people a lot of questions. I read a lot of books. Um, and I still don't think I'm, you know, uh, I, li- I like the idea of being a product leader, but I don't think that's the case. I think I'm still learning and we always are. Um, but back to the, the kind of topic, I don't think I should have had to 
you know, product. The, the idea of product made sense because we just needed a job title for it. But actually, it was just a business. We were just running a business. And, right. and I could have been the head of operations. I could have been the head of marketing. It's actually just a mindset. And it's a, mm. it's a skill set rather than an actual job. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that makes product so hard to explain because in all different companies we treat it differently, right? In marketing, you know, I've worked with a company who product sits in marketing. They yeah. say, oh, well, the website's mine, the quote engine's mine, optimization's mine. I've worked where um, an, an app is owned by the tech team and there's nobody who cares about it other than the tech team. Um, so I think product kind of falls into the gaps between where other people don't want to be. Um, so that's kind of... That's kind of my experience of product, and I've always struggled with being the person in the room who's supposed to represent product because it is like being a referee, and it's right. it can be quite tiring. So I've moved now. Uh, right. I now work for Confused.com, who are a wonderful price comparison website based in Cardiff as well. Um, and I now run the car shopping stuff, so right. car finance, car valuations, if you want to buy a car, sell a car, basically anything that you might be needing a tool for when you're purchasing a new car right. and that's where I am so I'm the, the head of that which essentially means I now look at commercial and product and tech and marketing so all of those different areas fall into my remit which means I'm not really product anymore although I am still a product person right. um, I've got a product manager on my team who's amazing um, so I think for me product managers shouldn't exist but if you want to give people a springboard into allowing them access to all of the business and learn loads of stuff about loads of different things mm. all in one go. Call it a product manager if you like, call yeah. it a project manager if you want, call it a business development executive, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think that the the idea of product can sometimes be quite uh, negative for some companies. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. It's great to hear that context. It does make a difference, Yes, I, I think. Um, so th- this type of statement could, could undermine or could could scare many product managers mm. listening. Why do you think they might react that way to this type of statement? Because it's it's basically saying that you... that I think the statement can imply that product managers aren't important. And I think they are important, but for me, a good product manager should be trying to work themselves out of being needed. You're As a leader and as a product-focused person, you should be trying to encourage everybody else in your company to do that as well. You should get to the point where you say, do you know what, you don't need my skills anymore. I have, I have imbibed everybody here with the idea of being product-centric. You can have a project manager or you can have a product owner or you can have a, you know, you, you can have someone whose responsibility it is to look after the product, but in a well-oiled machine, really a product manager's job shouldn't be as necessary. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I would see that podcast title and I would say, hey... <laughs> I've made my made my money out of being a product manager. How dare you say that they're not important? And I'm not saying that they're not important. What I'm saying is that I think that for people who are not in product, they are often seen as a scapegoat. They are seen as a, a way of saying, oh, well, product did that, not us. Um, people don't take responsibility for their businesses. And actually, 90% of businesses with a product person, the business that they're selling is the product. Um, mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, maybe the CEO would be the product manager, but they haven't got the time. So they, you know, they, they delegate it out and then that person has to fight with their peers for, for resource and time and, and energy and focus when actually without the product, you, you don't have a company. So mm. I almost think that for me, as a product person, I think my job will be done when I can move on and say, great, this team knows 
what they're doing. They're it's on autonomous. it. They're focused. They they think about the customer. They're building things that are useful. They're using design thinking. They're going through proper processes. They're actually using um, you know actually using their brains and actually considering it not just from a numbers game and not just from a well what's easiest. They are talking to people and they're building products that people love. Um, so yeah, I I I, I think it's just it's a black hat title mm. if you will it's I, I, hey come and listen yeah. to somebody who who almost certainly makes their money out of being in product and say why it shouldn't exist is of course it should exist but it shouldn't have to yeah i can imagine in a in a multi-sided product like confused mm. um where you've got that commercial side you've got partners so for for the audience listening that isn't from from the uk it's it's a it's an online insurance broker it's, or so it's a price comparison well? website, right. which means that um, anything that you might want to compare prices for, so let's say energy, home insurance, life insurance, motor insurance, horse box insurance, motorbikes, vans, um, car finance, car finance, basically anything that you think, credit cards, you think, oh, I want to go on the website, I want to go on online and I want somebody to put all of my options in front of me. Um, that's what Confuse.com does. So Confuse.com was, is, is nearly 18 years old. Mm. It's the first price comparison website in... Uh, I want to say in the world, it's definitely in the UK. Should have done my prep, um, but yeah, confused.com was yeah. was market leading and very very innovative at the time, and said, "Hey, people don't want to have to phone twenty different insurance companies. They want to be able to go to one place and see all the prices in one." So traditionally, it has been quite insurance focused, right. but it's really branched out to being basically compare anything. Um, right. So you go to us or any of our competitors, and we've got quite a wide product suite. Right. Um, and then we then send you off to the person who can give you the best price and then you purchase with them and, and you become their customer. Yeah. So you've got two, side, it's two sides Ooh, to this. You've got two um, lots of customers. negotiate a, a, a price per click or mm -hmm. a commission mm -hmm. share or whatever and then you've also got to go and get the general consumer in yeah. and say what a fabulous marketplace and optimise the experience yeah. for them. We, we have a product that's got um, completely different problems and solutions, mm -hmm. I imagine, in, involved in it. We, without a product manager, who... Where would the vision and strategy be executed if, if, if a product person wasn't, wasn't there leading it? Do you think it could be completely autonomous? Um, or will it always need someone? I think somebody does need to own the vision and somebody does need to own the strategy. But I actually really like the way that Confuse.com does it. Um, I like the fact that I am the head of an area. So I'm the head of, I'm responsible for the numbers, the volumes, the marketing, all of those things for you know five, six products. I'm not a product person. Well, I am, but we're not all product people. But essentially, we're responsible for the product vision. So my, right. my job title doesn't have product manager in it. I am given the space and autonomy to make my own decisions, and they can be both business conscious and customer conscious. And then within that, I can deliver that how I want to. So I'm not a product manager, but I am being given the autonomy to make decisions. I'm be, I am essentially owning the product vision. I could have in my team product manager or I could have a project manager or I could have a designer or I could have a UX designer I you know the job title doesn't really matter um but I think that having product managers people often don't give them the the seniority that they might need to be able to get the things that they need to do done um so almost having maybe head of product I would recommend heads of products right. or or chief product officers who can really carry the vision or principal product managers or any of those sorts of things and then they can inspire everybody else to, to get behind it. Almost like a mini CEO, I think, is much more useful. Whereas a, a product manager or a more junior product person often is having to fight for, for a seat at the table. And I don't think that's fair. Right. I don't think it's fair to expect people to be able to 
um, and I'm speaking from a from a large business angle or from yeah. a kind of medium sized business. I think if you give product the respect it needs, then it's perfect. But if you aren't and you're just expecting somebody to be able to make a change, um, I think it's I think it's unfair. And everybody should take more responsibility for the product. For those that are looking to 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 unlock this product mindset, mm. let's, let's call it instead of applying and getting a job yeah. in, in product um, particularly with your experience going through a, a graduate scheme mm. what would you suggest for them to do to to build up thinking more like a product manager so that they can act more like a product manager even if the job even title the job, product, yeah. job title didn't exist um, for me I think the most important skills that a product person whether it's you know job titles aside um, should be trying to build are communication creativity and collaboration um, so if you can't get your ideas across to people and if you are not able to listen to other people, you can't work in product. You, you can't have one person's opinion being the only opinion, you know, the, the highest paid person's opinion in the room, the hippos, the zebras, the whichever acronym you want to use. Um, so communicating is really key and being humble in that communication. So if somebody comes to you and they tell you, they prove to you that, you that the thing you're trying to do is wrong, you have to go, great, thank you so much for sharing with me. And that's where collaboration comes in. So you're not always going to be the person who knows, but you are always the person who has to make that decision and you have to lean on your peers. You have to be able to listen to people. You have to want to listen to people. Um, and you have to be able to get people inspired to want to be a part of your project team. So if they've got day jobs, other day jobs, um, you often get people assigned to you who can give you maybe three hours a week. If you're trying to inspire them, you need to make sure that, you, you want, that they want to work with you so they want to collaborate with you. Um, and then creativity is also to both of those points. Sometimes you haven't got much time, so you have to make sure that what you're doing is useful. And maybe you want to think of it from a different angle. You think, oh, well, this is what I've been asked to do, but I'm not going to be able to do that in the six weeks that I've got. So how can I approach it in a more practical and pragmatic way? Um, I think you've got to be creative in how you um, pretend to be other people. Right. So almost you're putting, your, you're putting a different person's hat on. Yep. You know, the, the product that I want is not the product that you want. So when I'm sitting there trying to build for all these different people, I've got to put my hat on and say, right, I'm Jay now. And how would Jay approach this? And what would he do? Or I'm my grandma. Or I'm this, you know, I'm this 50-year-old man who wants to drive a Mercedes-Benz. Or I'm this 30-year-old woman who hasn't got time to be thinking about anything and she's probably going to be doing this on her mobile. Or I'm a 17-year-old who's never driven before. How am I going to cope with an insurance? You've got to be able to be creative. And I think that's almost... You know, drama of it and so having gone through a graduate scheme was really helpful for me because essentially I was being paid to do work experience yeah yeah. what I delivered wasn't I mean it was of business value but it wasn't was never on their roadmap they never the the areas that I went to didn't know they were going to get me until a month previously so they can't rely on you they're basically oh hello nice to meet you we can give you some interesting things to do some interesting projects um so I got to speak to people I got to ask them about their journey I got to connect with them I got to um, hear the pain points and you get to speak with people from all different levels and all different areas and and I think that does make a product person being able to really read the room and say okay well that person's got a very loud voice but what they're saying doesn't sound like it's actually that important that person over there hasn't said anything yet but so-and-so told mm. me that actually they've been in the company for 20 years so if I don't get their buy-in then I'm going to have a problem so how do you you know how do you collaborate with that whole room and communication methods do you use to get your creative idea across so those would be my mm. top lots of top soft tips. skills lots and of soft that, skills that's you, for me is 
that's the combination of art and science yeah. or product management and yeah. you can't go all in on the science or the technology you've got mm. to be able to do some of those things that you've been mm. talking about or if not all of those things that you were talking about well you've got to try and if you can't do some of them admit it just admit yeah. it and say this is not my forte could either could somebody coach me or could somebody else do that bit you know you, you you're never a I was going to say you're never alone in it. It's absolutely not true. <laughs> I have almost always been alone in trying to um, get that first thing over the line because you've got to prove it before they'll give you yeah. anybody else to actually help you. Um, but you're not alone in in having come up against that before. You can ask a community. You can speak to your you know community of practice within the same company or within the same city. Um, I have. I have a lot of respect for people in the product community who spend time kind of answering questions online. The forums are really interesting. There's a lot of really good books out there. I just, you know, if you can't do it, be honest about that um, and play play your strengths, but also go and deliberately try and work on it. Um, I get a lot of people, so a lot of people I've worked with over the years have said, well, do I need to be technical? Because we worked in a very, you know, at, at Vega, it was a very, very technical right tech-led company we were trying to build new things we were using innovative tech we were trying to be quick we were doing you know continuous delivery let's release every day let's you know we were trying to be cool but also creative um and my product owners would always say should I learn to code or should I learn to you know should I learn this and my answer was almost almost exclusively no absolutely not you're never going to be the person who knows that best and as soon as you start to think you do you're going to start to question things that you shouldn't. It's not your job to know. Um, it's not your job to be able to question the technical solution. It's it's your job to facilitate that. And if it sounds ridiculous or if you've done it before, then feel free to, to comment and, and pipe up and say, hang on, last time we built this, it only took two days. Or last time we did that thing, it all went wrong. Are you sure we should do it that way? But it's not your job to know how to write that line of code. And by trying to learn that, you're undermining the people who are really skilled in that area. You know, I don't go to a designer and say, this is what the design that I want. I go and say, I've got some ideas, but obviously you're the, you're the person who knows best. Let's work together on it. And I don't go to a tech team and say, this is the architecture I want. I'm happy to draw it f- with them and you know, do that workshop so that it happens, but it's not, my, it's not my job to do it. And I think as a product owner, that's a product owner, product manager, that's one of the hardest things, not actually being responsible for any of it. You're yeah. almost you're inspiring other people to do it, so collaboration is super key. Um, c- can I ask how have you changed yourself from from going from into a, from a graduate scheme, uh, understanding the business and, and the functions, becoming a product manager, and then having to switch into this lead role now, mm. which is uh, I can imagine a lot more. If I was to think about um, delivery and being head down. So now, obviously, I mean, looking ahead mm. far greater, um, you know, like anyone who moves up the career chain, you do have to think more strategically as you start to move move forward. What, yeah. what, what's really changed for you in terms of when it comes to thinking about strategy and um, going beyond the product owner delivery role to, to get things done fast and quick to actually thinking, how does this contribute to where we're trying to get to in 12 months or 24 months? I think it's um, it's almost been a natural progression for me right. because it, it's had to be. Um, right. But I think the, the thing that has changed the most is my trust in other people. And, right. that, uh, and that, again, sounds like another contentious podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> podcast line. But essentially, when it, when it was just me, I knew it was just me. 
and when I started to have more people in my team, I had to learn to to let go and empower and, and not micromanage and all sorts of things. And I, and I like to think I did that well, but then there was always someone above me who was asking me why things went wrong and it was sometimes easier to just swoop in and fix it than teach my team and coach my team. Um, and I, I think now I genuinely have to say, that's your area, I trust you, you make the decision and I will happily stand in the way if someone comes to throw fire at you. It's my job to protect my team, to empower my team and to give them the space to make the decisions they want. But I don't have the time, nor should I make the time to go and read every single ticket to go and double check every piece of copy, to go and, um, you know, review every single release before it happens. Yes, it was useful that I know how to do all those things and that I loved doing all those things. And I, you know, I love nothing better than being stuck in a room, not unlike this, with three developers going, this thing's broken, let's try and work out what's happening, let's try and recreate it. But my time is not there anymore. And, and I have to let other people do that. And for me, my old boss at Vago used to empower me to do that he would come and he'd say what's the problem and I would tell him what the problem was and he would go hmm okay well what are we going to do about it you know he very very rarely undermined me and went to double check and I think that's what I've learned in in kind of coming more to strategy I have to give those people that time and if it does go wrong it is on my shoulders and it is my my issue so it's my responsibility to coach people and to give them the tools that they have but if it goes wrong it's not it's not a blame game um so I, th- I think that's the biggest change for me I, I used to be incredibly hands-on and um I used to you know if someone come with a problem I'd be like yeah I'm here I can sit with you for three hours and we can work it through and I used every opportunity as a coaching opportunity and and I worked you know I worked 60 hours a week it was horrible right. it was lovely but it was horrible you know it was it was the best baptism of fire I I could have asked for and I know I've got the capacity to turn around and help people if I need to, but I also have to let them do it themselves. There's no, um, they're not going to learn and they're not going to have the opportunities to, to, to take ownership and feel empowered and, and be like, that was my thing, I did that, that's cool. If I just always go and kind of swoop in and go, well, what about this and this and this? And then looking to the future, um, I did very, very well to avoid a lot of that for a while um, because my my previous manager really loved the numbers. So I'll go, yeah, cool, you you deal with them. Mm-hmm. I'll deal with the people and I'll deal with the product. You go and look at the numbers because Excel makes me cry. doesn't anymore. <laughs> quite good at it. Um, but actually, I quite like it. I quite like it's, it's storytelling. It's yep. just storytelling. And I think as soon as you realise that, everything's easier. You know, you take your product management skills of communicating and being creative and all sorts of stuff. And you say, right, well, basically I'm doing exactly the same thing. And now I'm trying to empower people to believe my story. And that's just a, just a slight switch in, in how I'm applying the same skills. So I think being a product person is an excellent springboard to future leadership and, and to, to kind of guiding and, and helping people do things. Whether that's a product person or the actual phrasing uh, is to be debated <laughs> but I, I do think that the skills that product managers have are really should be very highly in demand right can, can i ask is, is there tactics you employ to to try and uplift the, the mindset and the capability of your team or engineering etc and, and what, what what are they to to help remove this concept of you being a product manager and and to create the autonomy we were talking about earlier um yes Yes and no. There's definitely things I've tried that haven't worked. Right. Um, I used to 
do something that I'm sure irritated every single member of my team uh, at the time, but hopefully it's, it was helpful, is whenever somebody would ask me a question, my first response was, do you need to ask me that? Um, you know, do you, do you need to ask me that? Or could you ask anybody else that? Um, because I was, I was very conscious that I was turning into a silo of, of knowledge. Right. Um, and by saying, do you need to ask me that? Often people will go, oh, no, actually, I could ask so-and-so, or I could go and check here, or I could do that. And that would encourage that self-research if you will so i you know rowan where's this thing saved go and go and have a look don't don't ask me because i might not always be here but um also you know what are the rules and the logic behind this and this and this i said well do you really need to ask me that or do you think you could find that out yourself um so almost putting a blocker in place to stop me from becoming that central um hub of knowledge because i was that because i did know those things So for those people to learn those things, they have to go and find it out themselves rather than me just giving them the answer. So I think that that has always been quite helpful. Um, I tried, or I, I did try to um, do kind of open training sessions. So sort of, you know, pooling all of the things that people might want sessions on and say, okay, well, once a week or once every two weeks, we'll get in a room for two hours and you can ask me all the questions you want and I'll come with some prepped stuff and... We can talk through okay. it. So almost giving that specific time yep. and saying you've got product training and that will be happening. Um, I think technically, so with engineers, one of the things that I have always found works incredibly well with working with engineers is asking them their opinion. <laughs> I know, mind-blowing. Um, because they've always got better ideas than most people. You know, that um, Some of the devs I've worked with over the years have been amazing. They've been the people who've said, well, why don't we do this? Or why don't we, you know, we should have discount codes or we should do this thing. Or, well, if somebody cancels, then we should do this and this and this and this and this. You know, they've got the ideas because they've been asked to do that thing Mm. millions of times. Mm. You know, if you get a developer who's worked in five different e-commerce companies, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Go and say, well, what did they do in your old place? What worked well there? What did you build that time? Um, And they're incredibly creative. And I think... Lots of people um, take that don't don't really take that into consideration. They think I need to write the ticket and it needs to have ten bullet points on, and when I give it to them, they will do exactly what I ask them to do. But they a they won't because you know there's all sorts of other things that you won't have thought of that they have to do. There's testing that they need to do that they will be able to do once they've built it. Um, and also, you might not be right. You know, just as much as uh, marketing is your stakeholder and design is your stakeholder, tech is your stakeholder as well. Um, and again, as a product person, that's, that's a nightmare because you're in the middle of everybody saying, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Um, but you should listen to the tech team because they do, they've got good ideas. And also if it's their idea, I'm sure they will come to you with it, with telling you exactly how long it'll take and that maybe they'll do it off the side of the desk. Um, so I think coaching people is almost just trying to encourage people to know what they need coaching in, which is the hardest bit, you know, what are you struggling with? What do you need help with? What was the thing that took up all of your headspace yesterday? What are you worrying about? Um, somebody, I went to a talk a couple of years ago, um, the CEO of Hello Alfred. Right. I think she's called Marcella Sapone. Right. Uh, she's based in the States, and she was talking about uh, an exercise that she used to do with her team, which I have since then always do, you know, once a week or something with various different people, which is called 70-30. So you draw a, a circle. Right. And then you put a, a pie, like a pie chart, and you do a 30% and a, and a 70%. And the 70% is what you've spent your week doing. So you write in that, you say, this is what I've spent the week doing. Email, right. Slack messages, stand-ups, design workshops. 
um, writing a paper for for an oversight or governance thing. And then you go into the little one and you say, well, what have you spent your week thinking about? And then at the end of that, you sit and you say, well, the things you're thinking about are the things that you think are the most important. Are they represented in what you're doing? So I would do this on a Friday afternoon with my team and I'd say, okay, are they represented in what you're doing? No, okay, then what you're going to do is you're going to go away with maximum three objectives for the next week to make some of those things that you're thinking about become reality. So moving it into your doing. So whether that's, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how we can improve this process. Fine, book it in. Let's have an hours long workshop next week. Book it in now. We've all agreed we're going to do it. That'll take it out of thinking and into doing. Um, And I thought that was really useful. Mm. Um, Especially when people have got so many things going on, you just get so drudged in the the day-to-day that people have got great ideas. But if you never give them the space to tell you they've got ideas, they're not... Know, people don't make space for themselves because they're so conscious of delivering what they've been asked to deliver. Um, yeah, that's, just, I like that. I like that, especially mixing it up with a retro and mm. um, just to change the format a little bit and yeah. keep it fresh. And doing it. product retros as well. So we oh. did. We 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 do well. I don't anymore, but I used to do product retros with the product owners. So you know, oh. you do a retro with with the developers and the product owner and the scrum master, and you go through that and you say, well, how did this sprint go? Also, a weekly. Um, how's your week gone? Right. <laughs> what are the problems you've been having? You're, you know, creating that community. If you've got four product owners, they should speak to each other just as much as your tech team do. But, mm. but we don't need pair programming and we don't need people to review our code. So you have to force it. Otherwise, again, being a product owner is really lonely. So trying to get people in the room to talk to each other is, is quite important. nice. Yeah. Like when I think about concepts like scrum and scrums and things like that it's yeah. it's bringing people together but to focus on delivery yeah, not focus it's all on delivery focused what's what's not delivery mm. that you're working on or worried about or mm. behind on or ahead of mm. and getting into sprints for that is also helpful so design sprints so we, we my um old product design lead is amazing uh he does design sprints he was like well you work in sprints in in engineering and product so i'm going to do exactly the same thing so that he could manage the work that came into his area, so that he could say, well, no, you didn't get it to me in time, so I'm not doing it. He almost, you know, he saw the opportunity, he went, well, you're doing it like that, so if I do it like that, then I'm doing the same thing, and we can talk the same language. Mm. You know, kind of bringing it out to all those things and having tickets for product ideas and all sorts of stuff, I think, has been really helpful. One of the heaviest weights on a product manager's shoulder is prioritisation. If there wasn't any product managers... Who would prioritise, do you think? And who would own that priority? Again, in a perfect world, uh, people would be able to understand each other's needs and come to a lovely collaborative (laughs) uh, answer. And I know that's never the case, um, but it's almost kind of what I said previously about the the, the CEO or the the, the person responsible for the whole thing. Um, It's... It's the CEO's responsibility to make sure that their C-suite or their heads of agree. And if their heads of agree, then their reports should agree. Then their reports should, you know, there should be the ability to pass down a vision. So I am obviously very sarcastically saying you shouldn't have product managers because it's just not how the world works. It's just not how it works at all. But if you could rewrite the structure of the business, you would have your product vision as your company vision. And then everybody is working towards that. And be able to say well you know we've, we've justified it that we have 20 percent tech credit on every single de- on every single sprint you know that's 
technical work needs to be done because in order to keep the product going, it has to so it's twenty percent every sprint. Eighty percent is agreed amongst the senior management, and once it's agreed, you crack on. You know, you you have to have. You have to have trickle down and you have to have trickle up. You have to have the capacity for someone to have a great idea and for it to make its way into the scrum team. But you also have to have the capacity for the CEO to say, I want something and I've got reasons and for it to trickle into a scrum team. Um, So I almost think that prioritisation would be easier if everybody was singing from the same hymn sheet Mm. and everybody's not singing from the same hymn sheet because they're all outsourcing that shared hymn sheet to one person. They're saying, oh, well, the product manager deals with that bit. I'm worrying about my metrics. My metrics don't have anything to do with product. My metrics are pure cash or my metrics are, um, you know, how many bugs we've got live in the system. Mm. Those aren't product KPIs. If everybody had product KPIs in their area, prioritization would be less of a bloodbath. Mm. Obviously, the uh, personal incentives as well influence prioritization. Mm. um, And that's where I've seen conflict as well. Um, why one thing goes above another can depend on which stakeholders influence the most by their own either short or long-term incentives. Yeah, but I I almost, and this is a very, very contentious thing to say and it's not what I would actually um, be advocating for, but again, if you're the leader of the company, if you're the CEO and you can't get your team to agree, then that's your problem. You know, you, you shouldn't, you should be arbitrating. You should be in the room trying to ensure that people are, are, are listening to one another. You should be encouraging a a good collaboration between your your team. And if you're not, because you're saying, "Oh well, those who manage to make their way out of that bloodbath win," that's not that's not good yeah. leadership. Yeah. Um, and essentially, then you're you are delegating having to referee that match to somebody else because you can't be bothered. Um, and I think you shouldn't be in. I think you shouldn't be responsible mm. for a for a company if you can't take the responsibility of actually managing and and looking after your people so that they don't have to have personal incentives and they can feel appreciated and and that you know the last thing they should be doing is going and saying oh I haven't been able to get this thing done because somebody else has got their thing done and the CEO saying well that's not acceptable you know they should say yes I know that because that other person because I've agreed that that other person should do that thing thank you for letting me know we're on it you know that. That visibility only comes from having prioritization being important. And if it's all the way down in one, some, you know, backlog session, of course it's not. And where everyone's got buy-in then of that prioritized backlog. And for me, it's always a telltale sign if a a product manager feels they truly own prioritization, they Mm. own the backlog and it's theirs. And, and that they can do what they want with it. Mm. It's it's not a good sign either of the product manager or the culture that they're in mm. that's forced them into that position as opposed to being quite comfortable sharing the baby mm. and letting the village yeah, raise yeah, yeah. the baby in, yeah, instead exactly. of... And it, exactly that metaphor. It takes a village, right? And if you're just saying that it's one person's responsibility, it doesn't happen. And and that's, that is a wonderful... Thank you. I'm going to take that metaphor away with you. I love a metaphor. <laughs> um, that metaphor is perfect. The idea that oh, well, we'll just make one person the town crier and it'll all just get done. That's absolutely not what happens. So having a product manager doesn't work. Get everybody on the same page and and take responsibility for your your product because as a CEO, you've got a product. Or you think you have anyway. (laughs) You're trying to make someone give you money for something or not give you money for it. You're trying to get somebody to use something that you've put out into the world. That's your job as a CEO. 
Thanks so much, Ryan. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Great, great Sorry to talk if through and, and think been through rude. all of this. No, no, Sorry if it's I've been, been rude about product. Pleasure. I do love it. I promise. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. It's, it's been good fun. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode and any of the episodes from the Product Coalition European Tour podcast series. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please consider showing your support for the bushfire-affected communities, wildlife and volunteer firefighters in Australia who have had a hard time um, in recent months. You can do so by heading over to bushfire.productcoalition.com. Thanks again, Ryan. Thank you for having me, Jay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.